Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from the southern edge of northern Alberta, Canada. Episode 7, When Your Family. There are a lot of things that you do for family. You make time, visit, call, and think about them, of course. But there are the other things that you do. Things like make a very large piece of the Bayou Tapestry, or ordering four magnolias from the East Coast, knitted Christmas presents, and also things like sitting at the hospital or stopping by on your lunch break, even if your family member isn't conscious or coherent. Or things like saying, of course I can knit baby booties for charity, even when you don't have time at all. When I grew up, our family, people like aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents, were all an eight-hour plane ride away. We knew them from letters and photographs, and the occasional phone call made all the more difficult due to the language barrier, but forming a relationship beyond that of blood wasn't easy. My mother's parents sent us postcards of horses, paper cutouts, stickers, and the like when we were growing up, and we always wrote them back. Mom translated the letters, and I think that helped a lot. My father's mother visited us quite a bit, usually bringing a cousin, and we made some great memories traveling around the Rockies and Alberta. But I have 50 cousins, and if I tried hard, I could probably tell you their names, and possibly which ones have children now. I've started to know a little bit more about their lives from Facebook, but until about two years ago, I couldn't have told you much about them. But I wasn't deprived of extended family growing up. I had cousins, and aunts, and uncles, and even a grandfather here in Alberta. We saw each other regularly, and continue to plan family gatherings. My extended family has grown and shrunk, but it's always been there, a great support structure surrounding our little core of mother, father, sister, and me. There's the family you're born with, and then there's the family that you choose, and I've always had a very large chosen family. I had to leave Mike in Calgary six days following his surgery, and I can't say I was too happy to do it, but I had to get back to work. I left him in the care of his cousins, who live not too far away, and when I thanked them for looking after him, DJ said, It's what I do. And it is. There are things that you do for family. My family in Edmonton is deep with knitters and spinners, but that shouldn't come as a surprise. Five years of Wednesday knit nights and three of Tuesdays is a lot of family history. It's why when there were booties needed for Knitminton's contribution to the baby knit donation coming up next week, I just held my hand out for the yarn without even considering how much time I had to do it or the projects I'd need to shuffle around the queue. The booties are almost done because there are things that you do for family. Suddenly, I also have three babies to knit for. I live near none of them, but the mothers are my friends, my family, and that means I can't help but think of things to knit, even though all the mothers knit themselves. Of course, that's not the point. The point is, one of the ways I have to express myself, one of the ways I can send my love over distances, is through yarn. It doesn't have to be complex. 
but it does have to be useful, appropriate, thoughtful, because there are things that you do for family. One can't be on the internet or on Ravelry or even know more than a half dozen people to know that there are many different types of family. I know I've been very lucky with mine, blood and chosen. I haven't seen any major family feuds or an excess of drama. I've been surrounded, insulated, by the knowledge that I have a family, blood, chosen, and both, that loves me. That's why, when someone lets me into their family, I try to show them how it is to be in mine. There are things that you do for family. You can spend time, go out for coffee, send presents by airmail, and listen. You give of your time, energy, and effort without expecting anything in return. You say, what can I do to help? Or what do you need? When you're family, the most important thing you can do is care. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. I have a feeling this is going to be a, a shorter episode because I don't want to waste your time with a whole lot of nothing. And that is kind of what happened in the last couple of weeks. Mike had emergency surgery two days after the last episode was recorded. And I went down to Calgary to spring him from the hospital and look after him and that kind of put paid to a lot of my plans to do homework over the Easter weekend. But I think, you know, the plan was still a good idea to get the writing stuff out of the way. There's a lot of that. And I think it's an even better idea now because I'm having some problems with my legs. And until I can see a physiotherapist and make sure that treadling isn't going to exacerbate it, I think it's probably a good idea not to do that for a little while. But there's a ton of writing to do. I actually wrote it all out here so that I could I could lay it all out for you. I have to do uh, an essay on wool grading, an essay on how fleece characteristics uh, influence spinning technique, how to measure uh, twist per inch and wraps per inch, a uh, little blurb about the angle of twist. I need to do a photo essay on 10 different types of hand spindles. I have to do a, another short essay on spinning wheel mechanics. I have to find 10 songs or stories about spinning. And I have to do five book reviews, of which I've only done one. So, I mean, that's a heck of a lot of writing. So I think it's still a good idea to get that stuff out of the way and then look at the spinning after I've talked to a physiotherapist. So that's my plan going forward. So I'll... Uh, I'll let you know how far along I'm in the writing in a couple of weeks, and we'll see what happens. For level one, I thought today to talk about dying. Um, in part because, you know, if, if there was actually dying in this level, I would be doing that right now because you don't really need your legs to, to do the dying. In level one, you have to do 10, 10 different dye pots of n- nature dyeing. So anything natural, plants, some people have used wood, that sort of thing. So what we do in level one is we use two different mordants. We use alum and we use iron. 
and what you end up with is four samples for each of the dye pots. Uh, one sample skein that has no mordant, one sample skein with iron, one sample skein with alum, and one with both alum and iron. And it's really an interesting exercise to see what happens to yarn and the color that you get with either, first of all, different types of plant material, and second of all, with different types of mordants. A mordant is a a chemical that you use to set the dye, and it can also have an effect on the color. So in the case of alum, alum has a tendency to brighten the color of the dye, and iron has a tendency to sadden or or darken the color of, of the dye. What ended up happening in our level one class was that we had 10 pots and we had 10 things, uh, different types of plant materials that we could use. So we did all our dyeing while we were at fiber week. And on the one hand, that was really good. But on the other, you know, I, I almost kind of feel like I missed out on something by not doing a lot of dyeing at home. I did do some dyeing for my final project. Um, I made an onion skin tea and and ended up with a, a really lovely bronze color on, on the final yarn that I dyed. But in some ways, I wish I'd had a little more opportunity as part of my homework to do, to do some dyeing at home, because it was a ton of fun. So with dyeing, there's a few things to remember, and especially with nature dyeing. You're never going to exhaust your dye pot with nature dyeing. Uh, I don't know if anybody has done, out there has done Kool-Aid dyeing. You know you're done with your Kool-Aid dyeing when the water is clear. And I've actually had that happen. It was really interesting with a with a lime, lemon lime Kool-Aid. Really, you know, all of a sudden there the water was clear. It was awesome. But you're never going to exhaust a nature dye pot, which in part means that, you know, if you have a whole bunch to do, you can just, you know, use the dye pot over three or four days. And the, the color will, of course, get lighter and lighter, but but you're still never going to exhaust it. The other thing about dyeing to remember is that your mordant calculations are so important. You need to be very cognizant of the fact that if you over mordant something, it can probably ruin your yarn. So you have to do your calculations pretty, pretty close. So the way you do your calculations is you figure out how much, how much weight of fiber you're going to dye in, whether that's raw fiber or spun yarn. So you weigh it, you know that, and then you figure out the specific calculations for your mordant. People have done that work already, so you just need to know what the calculation is. And then you need a scale that measures up to tenths of grams to be able to you know, measure out exactly the amount of mordant you need. The favorite colors that I got out of the 10 pots that we did came from onion skins, uh, just yellow onion skins. It was just this really lovely copper color uh, with with no mordant and with alum. The iron turned out quite a bit more maroon. Still a really nice color. And it's funny because this was, I was trying to recreate this for my final project using, you know, yellow onion skins. And what I ended up with was much more bronze than copper. So even the onion skins that you use will be different. So you, you you can't necessarily recreate it with a different set of of the same thing. So the other the other ones that I found really interesting were were the fresh 
plants. We had a whole bunch of dried, but uh, we had a couple of fresh ones. We got a dead nettle. I brought that from my parents' backyard. And uh, fresh common oregano from uh, one of my classmates' gardens. And what was really interesting was with, with no more and with alum, there was a very, very light dye that that happened to the yarn but the second you threw it in iron you got this beautiful green and and so that was really interesting to see how how something fresh didn't necessarily bring out the color with with say alum but with iron it was definitely there so it's a fun exercise to do figuring out different mordants and the part i'm really looking forward to in level three is the dyeing section. And then the dyeing section, we're getting 25 colors out of one dye pot. So one, pick pick something, onion skins. I don't know what it's going to be, but say it's onion skins. 25 different colors, just based on how you pre-mordant and how you post-mordant. That is going to be awesome. And I'm really looking forward to that. So if you've never dyed before, give it a try. You know, it, it's kind of fun to see what happens and to, to start playing with color. You can even just start with Kool-Aid dyeing. There's there's a really great tutorial on Kool-Aid dyeing on Nitty. Um, you can also use cake dyes. Wilton's cake dyes are really good. The black has a tendency to break, uh, meaning it doesn't come out black. It comes out all kinds of different colors because it's just so saturated and full of different colors. But overall, the cake dyes produce really nice tones. Just give it a try. A, a really simple mordant, something to set your dye is white vinegar. Everybody has that in their house. Most of us probably have a packet or two of, of Kool-Aid. Give it a try. See what happens. It's, it's a lot of fun. So that's what I have to talk about now for Fiber Week. Fiber Week is 75 days away. Counting down. I'm still hoping my homework will be done. If I can get a lot of this writing done in the next couple weeks, I think I might just make it. Fiber Notes So in Fiber Notes, it, it felt to me before I sat down to record this as though I really hadn't been working on much the last two weeks, but when I actually wrote it out, there were quite a few things to, for me to talk about. But probably the reason it feels like a whole lot of nothing is because none of it's very complicated. None of it's very mentally challenging. I'm still working on the sunflowers. I've got the one left to do yet, and I should be able to wrap that up on Tuesday night at Knit Group. I'm working on the Mason Dixon burp cloths, I finished two. I'm a third of the way through a third. They take no mental energy whatsoever. It's a five-stitch repeat. And once you've done the first two rows, it's you you just go. All you have to do every once in a while is count and make sure you've got sixty pattern repeats. So those are those are flying along, but they're not difficult. One of the other things that happened was here in Edmonton we're doing a big donation to a group called Terra, which is for teen moms here in the city. And the the idea behind this was every baby should have something hand knit. And some of us don't have babies to knit for. And when this all started, I didn't have babies to knit for. However, now I do. But 
Knitminton as a group, we decided to put something in because so many Edmontonians and, and Edmonton knitters have contributed to our events in the past. So so one of us knit uh, beret, but didn't have time to knit anything else. So I took the remainder of the yarn from the beret and volunteered to knit baby booties. And I actually started those yesterday. I started those on Saturday. And I'm knitting the close-knit striped baby boots. I'd started off by doubling up the yarn because it's two different colors, but I didn't really like what I was getting. So I decided to do something striped. And these little baby boots are really adorable, but a little finicky, like just fiddly in places, but they turn out really nice. So I'm almost done the second. Hopefully by the time the episode is posted, I will be finished it because I hope to have that as part of the, the photograph for the episode. We're having a get-together next Saturday, a brag and tag. So we tag the the items with care instructions and a little note of encouragement and get it all put together and it'll go to Tara. So that's a quick little project to to keep me occupied this weekend. Still working on the spat socks. I'm in this sort of foot black hole. I finished the, the spat part, so now it's just knitting all the way around until I get the appropriate length and then can start the toe decreases. But the, the woolly nylon is slowing me down and I, I've been holding off on trying them on because I know I'm nowhere near where I need to be quite yet. I think I probably need to add at least one more inch before I try them on and see if I'm ready for the toe decreases yet. So I'm working on those a little bit. I actually finished off the first bobbin on the green mystery braid. I, I did bring my traditional down to Calgary and I set it up in um, Mike's aunt and uncle's sunroom and oh my god I need a sunroom that is it's just a fantastic place just to sit it's, it's quiet it's bright you open the windows because it was actually beautiful that weekend and you get the air coming through I need a sunroom because I could just set a swimming wheel up in there and just spin I don't have a sunroom. Anyhow, I I took it down there. I did manage a little tiny little bit of spinning time. I finished off the first bobbin of the green braid and started the second. So so that's progress. I guess you could call that progress. I'll take it. I'll take anything right now. But other than that, I'm not really working on anything. Up next, though, I have I'm, I I signed up for a swap. So I'm con- contemplating something relatively easy, well, maybe not easy, but quick, to knit for my swap partner. I've pulled a few yarns out of the stash, so I'm going to go on Ravelry, take a look and see what I can come up with for her. And I'm hoping that will be done in the next couple of weeks. The burp claws, the sunflowers, and I might actually be able to start on the sweater again and maybe even cast on for a new shawl. I'm going to cross my fingers on that one. So that's the Fiber Notes update. That's what I'm working on. And we'll see what happens in two weeks. By the wayside. Well, 
it's Saturday night, and I'm going to record the By the Wayside segment tonight, because nothing's going to change as to the progress on the tapestry between now and when I put the episode out tomorrow. And by progress, that's a little bit of a misnomer. I haven't worked on the tapestry again for two weeks. But in my defense, Mike had his surgery in Calgary two days after the last episode was recorded. And so I went down two days early and I didn't bring it with me. So for six days, I wasn't even in the same city as the tapestry. Made it very difficult to work on it. And since I got back, I've been playing catch up a lot. I'm just trying to catch up on a lot of things uh, around the house. I've had a few more appointments because my body appears to be falling apart. And it's just left me with very little time in the evenings to do much of anything. So, I have not worked on the tapestry again. And I'm very sorry about that. But I'm hopeful this week. Things are settling down a bit. And I'll be back on, you know, having having a basic plan for the weeks. And yeah, I'll be able to get a bit more outlining done on the tapestry and hopefully get a bit more done on the gazebo. So that's the By the Wayside update. Thank you for joining me for episode 7. By the Fiberside is a bi weekly podcast. And I look forward to bringing you episode 8 on April 21st, 2013. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion in our group on Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at ness, as in Loch Ness, at bythefiberside.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.